Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Serial Box. Serial Box delivers addictive book content in short listen or read installments designed to fit into today's fast-paced mobile lifestyle. Switch between listening and reading with a single click, picking up right where you left off. Learn more at SerialBox.com, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. I'm really excited to be interviewing Camille Pagan, who is the number one Kindle bestselling author of five novels, including the upcoming I'm Fine and Neither Are You. Her novel Life and Other Near-Death Experiences was recently optioned by Jessica Chastain's production company, Freckle Films. A journalist specializing in women's health, Camille has been on staff at several national publications and was most recently the health editor at Real Simple. She has contributed to O, The Oprah Magazine, The New York Times, Glamour, and many other magazines and websites. She currently lives with her husband and two children in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let's Zibby from Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hanging in there. We have another snow day, so... Oh, no. <sighs> yes, this is day seven. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's nuts. It's not ever like this. I cannot remember a single other year where it's been like this, so, it's, yeah. It's snowing here, too, but not... I mean, schools are still still on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm envious. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm really honored you're coming on the show. I love your books and, oh, you know, you. I really just love your whole sort of messaging and everything. So anyway, I'm I'm excited to interview you. <laughs> well, right back at you. I love your podcast. I'm super excited about this. Oh, thanks. So if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning of your fiction writing career. Right. You said on your website that you wrote your first novel, The Art of Forgetting, 10 years ago after your daughter was born when you had a dear friend battling a terminal illness, which I'm so sorry about. Oh, thank you. You wrote on your website, even before I typed the end, I knew I wanted to do it again and again and again. So I'm curious, what was it that made you love writing your first novel so much that you wanted to keep doing it? Well, I always wanted to be a novelist. I think um, just from a really early age, when I realized that people did that, (laughs) sounds amazing. I think I'd like to be one of them. But I studied English in school in college and went into journalism and just kind of put it on the back burner. I was thinking about being practical, and I enjoyed journalism. And I think my friend's illness just reiterated the fact, and it's cliche, but it's true, that life is short, and I really wanted to make it happen while I had a chance. And then my friend also, as she was dying, encouraged me. I said, I have this idea for a book, and she said, you have to go for it. Like, now is the time. And so that gave me the fuel to sit down and write an entire draft and I did it in about four months. It was pretty quick. And it was just so enjoyable to be away from facts for a while, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I do all day in my journalism role and just come up with this story in my head. And it's unlike anything else I've ever done. And I feel that way every time I write a book. It's just escapism, but like tapping into the parts of myself that I don't usually reveal. Mm. I feel like reading is that escapism for me. So yeah. <laughs> either writing it or reading it, it's it's great. It takes yourself yeah. out of yourself. Exactly. So you wrote your first novel in four months. It was published. You moved on and wrote Life and Other Near-Death Experiences um, mm-hmm. after your second child was born. So when did you do that? Like, when are you doing your writing? And how do you come up with the ideas for these first couple books? And this book was just optioned by Jessica Chastain's film company, Freckle Films, which is amazing. That's so exciting. Thank you. Fingers crossed that it'll see the screen. I'm really <laughs> excited about that. I had a three-year period between The Art of Forgetting and Life and Other Near-Death Experiences, maybe two and a half, three years. 
where I wrote a couple other books that were terrible. (laughs) (laughs) My agent didn't like them. I didn't like them. And I think after being published the first time, he realized, oh, this is real. And I had an internal self-created pressure to write something that I thought would sell, which is the worst way to write a book. Mm. And after writing the second book that didn't go anywhere, I realized that. And that's when I was on a press trip in Santa Monica for a story. And I had a couple hours to kill before my flight. And I was on the beach and I kind of gotten to this mental point where I thought I'm just going to give up on my fiction career. Ship has sailed. You know, maybe I'll write another book in five years. My journalism career is going well. And suddenly, like at that moment of release, I got an idea to write about a woman who has a terminal illness and her life blows up at the same time she's diagnosed. And she runs away to Puerto Rico, which is a place that's really important to me and my family. And it just came to me almost fully formed, this idea. And I ran back to my room and started scribbling down. And really the next day when I got home, started writing the book. And that became Life and Other Near-Death Experiences. Wow. And then it became like the number one all-category Kindle bestseller, which is just so great. So, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm smiling as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it was such a wonderful experience. And it was neat to see that the book that I wrote really for myself, I just thought, what would I like to read? If I went to the bookstore, what would be the thing I'd want to pick up? And I wanted something that was poignant, but funny and tongue in cheek in a way. And it was so nice to see readers resonate with that message because unlike those other drafts that are in my drawer and will never see the light of day, I wasn't writing it with the reader in mind. I was just kind of writing for me. seems to be the secret. (laughs) I think it is. is. And that's how I've written all of my other books since, because the feeling of writing that way is very different. It's joyful. I think sometimes, I don't know what everyone else's process is, but for me, I don't ever struggle. I don't feel like, oh, this is horrible and I hate it. When I'm writing, I think this is great. And if it's not good, I'm going to make it better. And I'm always looking for that feeling of joy. If it's not there, that means I'm not working on the right book. Oh, I love that. That's great. And I tried to write a book recently and I was all, you know, so stressed about it. And then I was like, nobody's asked me to do this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like if I'm not having fun doing this, like just stop, right? Like no, like no one, at least, you know, I didn't have like a, you know, highly successful first novel with a second novel, you know, stress attached. This is just like for fun. And I'm like, well, you know, if it's not fun, forget it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you said that you write to, I'm going to quote you here, figure out how you feel about the world and to connect with others thinking about the same things and that nothing makes you happier than hearing from a reader who then says, you know, your novel helped me through a tough time or that's exactly how I felt. I feel like that's totally the same way. Like if, you know, even if I write an Instagram post and someone's like, me too, I'm like, ah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's all formats. It's Instagram, social media, blog post, article, novels are just that in a kind of crazy format because you do get so much feedback on reviews and people will email. But I think we all have a purpose. And sometimes it's easy to forget that when you're writing. And I realized after hearing from readers that my personal purpose is to give voice to some of the things that people think, but maybe don't say. Mm. And hearing those ideas, however revealing or embarrassing, I mean, I feel like I'm always running around in my underwear when I write a book. <laughs> like Everyone's watching. But it's important to realize that you're not the only one who feels that way. And I think that's how we get through life in a joyful way. That's what my books are for. That's amazing. 
I, I love that. I feel like that's the greatest power of writing is so that you don't feel alone. Like everybody has this mm-hmm. sort of common experience. Yeah, totally agreed. And you do this, such a good job of that in your book, I'm Fine and Neither Are You, which was so great coming out in mm-hmm. April. And speaking of you know, running around in your underwear, you start this book with your protagonist, <laughs> your protagonist Penelope sitting on the toilet and being interrupted by both her son and then her husband with no toilet paper to be found. <laughs> <laughs> which was such a classic. I was like, I can't believe she's writing this. See, this is perfect. You know, it's like so real. It's just so real. <laughs> Thank you. I think moms get that. You know, we, we know what that feels like. <laughs> and then you wrote about parenting. You said, on a day like this one, I needed to remind myself that there was a good reason a sane person would pull herself out of bed at the crack of dawn, spend all her waking hours tending to the needs of other people, and then do it again and again and again. It was a labor of love or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I really had fun writing this character. You know, her name's Penelope. She's a breadwinner. She's working her butt off. She's doing more than she should at home. Her husband's not really chipping in. And she feels kind of the way that I think it's easy for anyone to feel, which is that everyone around her has it better than she does. You know, people are more put together. They've got it figured out. And she especially feels this way about her closest mom friend, Jenny, who just has this very charmed life. And lo and behold, her life isn't charmed. And I've just seen this, you know, personally, this book isn't about me. And I deliberately wrote away from my own marriage because uh, out of respect for my marriage, I suppose. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I've had situations where I've had friends, their lives look so amazing from the outside. And even, you know, these are people I was close to. And in two cases, each friend came to me and said, my marriage has fallen apart. In one case, the woman's husband was gay. And the other case, I just never saw it coming. And she said, we're getting divorced. We've been unhappy for years. And you could never have seen that from the outside. And it was very important to them to not show those cracks. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me that you don't know what's going on with anyone else, really, other than yourself. And to not put judgment on it, you know, good or bad, just, you know, observe without drawing conclusions about your own life. What do you think the benefits are of of putting up this front? Do you think there's any benefit, like if you are unhappy, like Jenny in in her marriage, do you think like this sort of self-protective instinct can help or do you think it just makes the problem worse? Well, I think both. I think that it's helpful to not air your dirty laundry to everyone. People talk, you don't want to run into someone at the grocery store and they say, oh, I hear things are not going so well. I mean, you know, I, I get not wanting to deal with that, but I think it becomes a habit of sorts where you're so used to saying everything's fine that you do that even to the people close to you. And those are the people who need to hear things are not fine. These are the people who can help you get through it or just give you the support that you need because it's very lonely. You know, we're so connected. We've never been more connected to everyone. And yet we feel very much isolated in our own way, you know, and mm-hmm. I think social media contributes to that because you're you're telling a story constantly and you don't want it to be a bad story, but it's not the whole story either. Hmm. And do you think in your book, do you think that Jenny's sort of fate, the trajectory of her life, the, the fate that she ends up in, do you think all that could have been avoided? Do you think if she had shared maybe more with Penelope, she would be in a different place? I do because she, it's later revealed that she has leaned on her husband somewhat and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough. And I think that she probably needed someone like Penelope to say, okay, this isn't working. Let's go to the next step. You know, it's okay. You can lean back. You can step away from your blog for a bit. You don't have to be this perfect mother. 
you know, let's do this together. And know there seems to be so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> there is. And you can buy into it or not, but I think what is kind of, not frightening, but what worries me sometimes about social media and, and makes me step back a little is that it does become a habit of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you do it, the more normal it is to become someone who just puts out, you know, the glossy stuff, none of the real stuff. So, and I find it's funny because people really seem to relate more to the raw things, Mm -hmm. to the truth when you're telling the truth about what's going on with you in a way. People are like, oh, me too. You know, Mm -hmm. thanks. Thanks for that. And yet we still feel like we need to, I don't know, put out this really glossy, perfect image. I like how at the end of the book, I'm not to give anything away, but what Mm -hmm. what ends up happening with the blog and how you wrap that up. I don't know. I thought it was... You know, the blog can can show the truth in the end, right? Yeah. Anyway, it was a really great book. It raised so many questions and just hit home in a lot of ways, especially when, I mean, I feel like so many people have friends that they feel they wish they could help more. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. like, no matter how much you want to help someone, if they don't reach out, there's nothing you can do. Like, you can can even have more awareness of of their struggles and just, you know, there's, like, boundaries. I'm rambling here, but, you know. (laughs) No, I'm totally on board with that. I mean, I spend a lot of my day interviewing doctors and psychologists and social workers for my journalism job. And the thing that I hear again and again is people do need to want that help. Mm -hmm. You can't force someone to change. And so, you know, it's complicated. It's really layered to figure out how to be there, but also understand your own limitations. Yep, very interesting. You wrote a really great article on Shondaland called Faultlands, which was such a great piece about aging and turning 40, which I did recently. Not recently enough, but... (laughs) um, (laughs) Right there with you. (laughs) At at the end of that piece, you conclude that the key to aging beautifully is to move forward with passion and purpose, and that we're naturally drawn to people who are enjoying themselves regardless of their age. Do you feel you've sort of come to peace more with aging since you examined it closely for this article? Like, do you think this is really the trick, this purpose and passion? I do. I I think a lot about this, maybe not as much as my dermatologist, but (laughs) it's on my mind. And I, just because I want to move forward gracefully myself, I don't want aging to be something that limits me in any way. I think it's kind of a self-created problem. It's going to happen, right? You're going to get older going to look different. You might feel a little different, but staying connected to your purpose, for me at least, that's been really meaningful to understand why I'm here and what I'm trying to do that keeps you away from the mirror and just the obsession that's so easy. Like you start seeing wrinkles and like everything's not holding up the same way. And it's kind of a rabbit hole if you're not careful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I like how you sort of turn away from the mirror at the end, right? You're like, I'm going to spend a little less time looking at this and a little more time looking at what's, you know, once I turn away from the mirror, what what you have in your life. It's a good good lesson. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're filling your head with what's important. And for me, that's my family, my career, you know, trying to grow as a person. Those things, they can occupy your mind enough that you're not worrying about the stuff that doesn't matter and you can't control. Mm-hmm. And then you, woman last seen in her 30s, your novel sort of came out of this examination of age, correct? Mm-hmm. Did it help? Like, oh, tell, yeah. tell me more about that book. So I was, oh gosh, I think 38 when I started writing that book, maybe 39. And I had an incident in the grocery store where a college-age kid ran into me and kind of didn't even look at me, even though he hurt me. And I thought, ah, I see what's happening. I'm going to get more and more invisible as time goes on. And 
it's possible that the guy was just a jerk, but it just reminded me of the ways that society can make women more invisible as they get older. I think that's changing a lot. And I think in politics and entertainment, certainly in the arts, we see more women who are well beyond 40 doing amazing things and being paid attention to. But, you know, society puts a premium on on beauty and youth. And so I just started thinking about a character who's at a pivotal point in life and realized that, again, I wanted to write the book that I'd like to read. And that's about a woman in her 50s who recreates her own life on her own terms. That's how that book came to be. Hmm. Do you ever factor in some of the feedback you get from your readers? Like, I bet people responded to that one in such a, like, does that ever cause you to write your next book? Do you ever get, like, does the feedback you're getting spark future ideas ever? No, it's more like fuel to keep going. Mm -hmm. I think after I finish every draft, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Can I do that again? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love writing so much, but it's depleting to finish a whole book. And then there's this waiting period. You're trying to get the publicity together and early readers. And it's kind of this scary in-between period. Mm -hmm. After the book's out, I'm always like, okay. But hearing from readers during those times, it's like, oh, I'm doing this on purpose. You know, this is, even if it touches one person, I've done something good. Mm -hmm. And so it's a worthwhile endeavor. That's great. And when do you actually write? So you do, you still have your whole journalism career and you used to be, Mm -hmm. you know, an editor in magazines and you're, so when are you doing everything? (laughs) Well, I'm increasingly turning away from journalism only because fiction, it's really now my day job. Mm -hmm. So I do a little bit of journalism, but I work from nine to five most days. Although apparently not this winter. (laughs) (laughs) Not today. Apocalypse, it's really, it's getting me. I have a home office and my kids are at school and then they have various after-school activities. And I make the most of those hours because I find, I do work in the morning sometimes. I'll get up really early and sit at my desk and do some work. But I can't work in the evening anymore the way I used to. I think I'm just kind of wiped out at the end of the day. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to read. Occasionally I watch TV. Yeah. So it's really, I make the most of my nine to five. And have you read anything good lately? Well, I read The Wife mm-hmm. by Meg Willitzer and loved that. I thought that was really fantastic. Felt like I was the last person to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Christina Elder's The Banker's Wife. That was so smart. And I heard it's going to be made into a TV show. So I'm excited for her. And what am I reading right now? Oh, I read a bunch of books for blurbs. So that that makes up a lot of my reading time. Oh wow! I know there's like this whole subculture of writers, right? You like you yeah. you blurb each other. You like who's blurbing what? It's like a yes. whole thing. Right? <laughs> it's exciting because it's really nice to get an early look at what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Like Tracy Garvis Graves sent me the girl he used to know, which is this wonderful book that comes out on April second, the day after mine, and it's a love story about a woman with autism, mm. and it's just so sharp and so smart. And I thought it was amazing that she sent me this early, let alone that I got to say glowing things about it. So it's really neat to do that. Yeah, it's exciting. I feel like it's exciting just to even see it like a galley of a book. I'm like, oh, this is so fun. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So your sixth novel is in the works. It's called This Won't End Well. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me more about that? It is. Oh, I love this book so much. I think it's my funniest since life and other near-death experiences. It's the story of the cynical scientist, and she swears off new people <laughs> after her fiancé runs off to Paris without her, mm. only to find herself entangled with this glamorous new neighbor that moves in and an amateur detective who's investigating the neighbor. And it's really the story of how things, our best laid plans go awry. And it's told mostly in emails. It's epistolary, and there's some other documents in there. It's 
a new format for me, and it was really fun to write. Excellent. Yeah. And do you have any advice to aspiring writers? Oh, my gosh, keep going. (laughs) It's the persistence. I'm watching, you know, not only now I've just finished my sixth book, and I'm so excited about that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wrote another book. But also my peers who are continuing to write, and some of them write one book every 10 years, and then they write another, and some are, you know, every six months. But the common thread for a successful writing career really seems to be that persistence, the going even when the going is tough, you know, just to carry on. Hmm, That's great. Aw. Well, thank you so much for all your time. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I love what you're doing and your whole sensibility. So anyway. Thank you. Looking forward to reading what's next and uh, following your career. Thanks, Ibi. I'm going to have to name one of my characters in my novels after you. Your name is fabulous. Oh, thanks. It's short, it's short for Elizabeth, but I haven't been able to haven't been able to drop it yet since uh, six months. <laughs> but go ahead. Feel free to use it. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, I hope the snow lets up for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for your time. Of course, you too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Serial Box, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com, SerialBox.com, delivering addictive book content in short listen or read installments. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. (laughs) 